0: Nothing is more testing and more humbling than the Beatitudes. As we examine the Beatitudes, we should be examining ourselves. We should be asking, am I living like Jesus taught in the Beatitudes? Am I poor in spirit? Am I humble before God? Does God's greatness and mercy humble me? Do I mourn over my sin? Do I mourn over sin in general, the sin of the world? Do I, or am I meek? Do I submit myself to God and meekly submit myself to God? Do I hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do I have a true earnest desire for righteousness? Am I merciful? In other words, Am I the person that will show mercy to others because God has shown mercy to me? Am I poor or pure in heart? As we looked at last week, does my heart reflect or does my action reflect my heart? Am I pure in heart? And in this lesson, we'll look at, am I a peacemaker? Now, to answer this last question, consider the seventh beatitude, which is blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God now the statement blessed are the peacemakers must have been alarming and really quite frankly shocking to the Jews of Jesus day think about the Jews of that particular time period they looked for a a kingdom that was a military strength a national kingdom a material kingdom they thought that jesus they thought that the messiah rather would rule over the world that they would marshal or he the messiah would marshal a great army and rule over the world with world domination however jesus taught his disciples to be peacemakers which does not fit the mold of the jews that and what the jews actually sought Remember, the Beatitudes are not in some random order. Remember that we talked about this already. They have a natural sequence. The poor in spirit mourn over sin, and then they submit to the will of God and are meek. And because of such, they hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then they are merciful and pure in heart, which naturally leads to making peace. Now the opposite is ought to be noted here as well. Envy, jealousy, hatred, and an impure heart does not make for peace. In fact, when you look at the, the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter five, you'll find those things listed and they clearly do not make for peace we're looking at the Beatitudes and we're considering the things that lead to peace also as we noted last week the Beatitudes are paired the poor in spirit become merciful the, those that mourn over sin will seek purity of heart and those who are meek become peacemakers remember the Beatitudes do not stand alone And they haven't noted this for at least some time but they do not stand alone we are not to pick and choose one beatitude or two beatitudes over the others but rather we are to strive for all the characteristics of the of all the beatitudes and all Christians are to apply all the beatitudes to their lives now also note before we actually start looking at the peacemakers the beatitudes are not conditions of salvation in other words they're not like hear believe repent confess and be baptized and though we talk about those things and they are conditions of salvation and we call them the first law of pardon well you know those are conditions of salvation but The beatitudes are not given as conditions of salvation rather they are descriptive of the saved now that's in other words they describe who the saved are now the first thing we want to look at or answer is the question what is a peacemaker now as I've done in previous lessons and we're going to do the same thing in this particular lesson is we're gonna look at what peacemakers are not, first of all. And in fact, I think all of us understand that oftentimes it is the case that to understand what something is, we have to look at what it is not first. Well, the first thing that I wrote down is that a peacemaker is not an easygoing person who avoids trouble at any cost. And we know people like that. And this type of person teaches peace at any cost but the fact is is that type of person the peacemaker well obviously they will do anything to avoid trouble and say anything to get along well i remember a preacher several years ago and the elders were actually telling me about this and he came to to quote try out at this particular congregation and they asked him about marriage divorce and remarriage and he says well, what do you believe on that? And they told him what they believed, and he said, well, I can live with that. Wait a minute, you didn't tell us what you believe about it. You didn't tell us what you taught about it. Well, you know, needless to say, that particular eldership was smart enough to not hire that particular fellow. But like one other fellow that I knew years ago would say, that fellow, he has a, a dog that can hunt with any dog well you know the fact is there are people like that they're they're only peacemakers in the sense that they do not want to cause trouble but you know it might be the case that we don't want to cause trouble but the fact is trouble will come and then what we what have we done we've just simply put it off to another place though there is a place for the attitude in matters of opinion I've been reading a book and this particular book has a section in it concerning some of the old restoration preachers and they would talk about those matters of opinion as opposed to matters of doctrine well in matters of opinion yeah we need to be easygoing it doesn't make any difference matters of opinion and we need to recognize people's matters of opinion I remember talking to a fellow several years ago and he was talking about what some eldership did and I said, don't you think that that's a matter of opinion? He said, yeah, it's a matter of opinion, but my opinion is right. Now wait a second. and that's what I said to him. It's a matter of opinion. If it's a matter of opinion it doesn't mean that anybody's specifically is, is right. Uh, Chris, I think this microphone's just a little bit too loud. Please. So so there is a place for an attitude as matters of opinion but we cannot compromise the truth for doing such we bring condemnation upon ourselves and we separate ourselves from God rather than creating peace with God A second thing that a peacemaker is not he is not an appeaser An appeaser simply postpones wars and strife but does not solve the problems that causes the wars and the strife. Appeasers do not bring with them solutions. They just simply appease, and thus they are not true peacemakers. And a third and final thing that we're gonna consider is that a peacemaker is not quarrelsome, hateful, and malicious. People that are quarrelsome and hateful and malicious are not peacemakers. And we ought to remember that. So people could say, well, yeah, I'm a peacemaker, but then they turn around and, and create quarrels and fusses and fights. They're not peacemakers. Uh, they cause strife. In Galatians 5 and verse 15, Paul asked this question But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed lest ye be consumed one of another. So it is the case that sometimes people claim to be peacemakers, but you know, sometimes they're not being peacemakers, they're just being quarrelsome. Now what are peacemakers or what peacemakers are? The first thing that I wrote down is peacemakers seek for peace between God and men or man and God. Now we know and I hope all of us recognize the fact that sin separates in isaiah 59 and verse 2 he says but your iniquities have separated between you and your god and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear the peace is made through the gospel and we must recognize peace is made through the gospel if we want peace with god we can't go out in the middle of a hurricane in a boat and try to find peace with God that's what one movie portrayed it like well that's not the case the gospel is is what brings peace in Colossians 1 verses 20 through 22 Paul wrote and having made peace through the blood of, the, of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blame unblameable and unreproachable in his sight now paul also wrote something similar to that in ephesians 2 verses 13 through through 16 (coughs) <coughs> Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 16. In fact, when I think about peace with God, I think about the fact that that God's provided that peace. And that peace then is what we call reconciliation. Having peace with God is reconciliation to God. And Paul wrote about that in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who have... Um, who sometimes were afar off are made nigh, and uh, made nigh by the blood of Jesus, or blood of Christ, for He is our peace, who hath both made uh, who hath made one. I'm sorry, who hath made both one and have trodden down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace and and that he might reconcile both unto god in one body by the cross having the slain the enmity thereby excuse me i think i need a second one maybe a third I'm sorry. Well, not only does peacemakers seek for peace between man and God, but they also seek for peace between uh, man and man. Now, he does this by promoting unity and harmony. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, if it be possible, as much as in you is, or life in you, uh, live peaceably with all men. And so the peacemaker then strives to live peaceably with all men. They don't try to create trouble. They don't try and go out and seek trouble between uh, brethren or between men. They try to be peaceable. Well, he also promotes peace by Correcting offenses. In Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, a passage that many of us remember. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his faults between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, in looking at this particular passage, what do people normally do? Well, having been a been uh, the recipient of such actions and different things like that when people are offended they'll go and they'll talk about about it to this person or go and talk about it to this person rather than going to the person and and dealing with him directly then they'll talk about it behind their back i remember in one particular place the preacher had gotten in trouble and so what did they have they had a meaning of the men without him in fact he didn't even know it it had taken place well you know that's not what this verse says it says go to that person and talk to him directly but then people will say well it says by the mouth of two or three witnesses he's not talking about get your cohort get your buddy that believes the same thing you do and go to him so you can attack him together that passage is talking about you get someone that's neutral, that can go to him and talk to him, that every word may be established. If his mind is already made up, then not every word will be established. No, that person that's to go is one that will listen to both sides of the issue in order to solve the problem. But, you know, we look at this particular passage, but we forget there's more to it than just that. Look down at verses 21 and 22, because that person that seeks peace seeks also forgiveness. So in Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee, until seven times but until 70 times seven. Now that's 490 times. That means we have to keep a ledger for 490 times? No, well, of course not. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that, that it's, it's unlimited n- number of times. Now we, admittedly, there are times we need to maybe take away the the temptation of sin and things like that if we can remove that and there's nothing wrong with that but at the same time if a brother for ask for forgiveness we don't have a lot of choices in the matter if we want God to forgive us we must show mercy if we want God to show mercy to us we must show mercy to others and so we must be forgiving now there are oftentimes consequences but we still must be forgiving. Well, also the peacemaker is a one that does not sow the seed of discord in gossip. Now I know gossip is difficult to, to define on occasion. Gossip, some people will say, well, yeah, but I told the truth. Yeah, but you did it in a defaming way. And that then is gossip. So gossip is more than just that in proverbs 26 and verse 20 he said where no wood is there the fire goeth out so where there is no tailbearer the strife ceases i think that's a passage that we ought to always remember and i i think about jim o'connor with reference to this he said it doesn't hurt the tree for a bad apple to fall off <laughs> and you know if we need to pull the log out of the fire in order to shut the fire down then so let it be we need to pursue after peace and finally the peacemaker spreads peace in romans 12 verses 20 and 21 he said, therefore if thine enemy hunger feed him if he thirst give him drink for in doing Um, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good i think about different events that have taken place in my life and i think about different events that i've witnessed and different things like that and i'm always amazed when a when a harsh discussion happens when somebody just shows a little bit of kindness how that how that changes everything. We need to be the kind of people that pursue peace and spread peace. Well, now we look at the fact that peacemakers imitate God, or maybe we should say emulates God a little bit different, but basically the same concept we ought to know. And all of us should know that God is the God of peace. Now, notice the number of times, and we're only going to look at five examples of this, the number of times that God is called or referred to as God of peace. In Romans 15 and verse 33, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 13, verses, verse 11, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. In Philippians the fourth chapter in verse nine, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. In Hebrews 13 in verse number 20, the Hebrews writer said, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead Our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, the God of peace that gave us the sacrifice of Jesus and thus making for peace. And then finally, we'll look at 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. When considering 1 Corinthians 14 and the trouble that was going on in Corinth and the division that took place, remember the first of the book, and actually not only in chapter 1, but also in chapter 2, there were those that were saying, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Paul. Well, he said, Is Christ divided? Well, you see, there was that problem that existed in Corinth they were fussing with one another and most of that fuss was over spiritual gifts that's the context of 1st Corinthians chapters 12 13 and 14 and he said is God the author of confusion is he the one that creates this fuss among you no he's the author of peace and in all the churches of the Saints if we will follow the God of peace Peace will be provided for us. In fact, everybody ought to know that God hates discord. Now let's look at a few passages that deal with that, and I didn't put those on the, on the PowerPoint. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19, the Proverbs writer, in this case uh, Solomon, he said, These, are, uh, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, at heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, and feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Now, why does Solomon use this idea? He said, Six things, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea seven are abomination unto him. Why didn't he say these seven things does Lord hate? Because he's emphasizing that seventh one. But what is the seventh one? He that soweth discord among brethren. God hates those who sow discord. There are things that we just need to, to bear with and be patient with one another god hates discord now there are times we have to stand for truth and i don't want to make it sound that we must not do that but there are also times when we need to be patient aren't we thankful for the patience of christ that he was not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance aren't we thankful that he was patient with us until we obeyed the gospel And even then after we obeyed the gospel aren't we thankful for his patience as we tried to and strove and and strove to uh, mature well discord of course as we mentioned already is a part of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5 verses 19 to 21 notice the number of different things that he mentioned there that really work toward discord now the works of the flesh are manifest are these adultery fornication and lasciviousness idolatry witchcraft now he begins those a list of things that create discord hatred variance emulation strife or wrath strife seditions heresies envies and then he goes on murders drunkenness reveling and, and such like of which I tell you before as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. God hates discord. We must be a people that seek to be peacemakers. Well, not only is God the God of peace, but Jesus is also the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7, now this is said in prophecy of Jesus but it still gives us that characteristic like isaiah 52 verses 13 through isaiah 53 and verse number 12. that gives us those characteristics of jesus we know they were true even though they were spoken about 750 years previous well the same thing could be said here in isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 he says unto us for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given The zeal of the Lord, of hosts, will perform it. When you're dealing with political parties of the world, whether the United States or of political uh, parties uh, within the governments of the world, there are obviously differences. And they then fight and war against others uh, because of the differences there. But you know, brethren are to be at peace. And Jesus then provides peace. We're not fussing with the world when we're fussing with one another. We're fussing with God's people. Also, we know that Jesus then promotes peace to his followers. In John, the 14th chapter, verse 27, and again, we must consider the context of John 14 this is jesus in the upper room it is the night before his trial he prepared the disciples for his death in john 14 let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me you remember those words how jesus then comforted the disciples within that comfort he said peace i leave with you my peace i give unto you not as the world giveth give i unto you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid now the peace that jesus provides is not the peace of the world it's the peace of the of the mind and of the heart and with one another in john 16 and this is also in the upper room and he said to the disciples these things i have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace in the world ye shall have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world and we all know the 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 strife and the division the tribulation that we have in the world but surely we understand the peace that we have in christ well not only is jesus the prince of peace the gospel is the gospel of peace. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 15, Paul wrote, And and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I remember just after I graduated from preaching school, back in well, as Chaz will know, I'm going to say back in 19 none of your business (laughs) a long time ago and we invited my parents who were not members of the church and we invited them to go with us to worship service one Sunday morning and they did they chose not to go normally they did go with us when we invited them but they didn't go with us well then we went to services and we went to a small town and went to worship there with that congregation, and the preacher was so hateful, so rough and coarse, I was really quite honestly thankful that my parents did not go. I think it would have completely turned them away from the Lord's church. That's not the gospel of peace. Now, do we need to be direct at times? Yes people miss the point i've learned a long time ago if you're not direct people will miss the point but directness is not being divisive directness is really seeking for peace on occasion in ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15 the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace this is talking about the soldier or paul's likeness of the soldier and the different pieces of armor that we have and one of those pieces of armor is the foot and what we put on our feet well not only is the gospel the gospel of peace but the kingdom is the kingdom of peace as well in isaiah 9 in verse verse number seven he says of the increase of the government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of david and upon excuse me upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, Paul says, for the God, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now put that back in context. In the context of Romans 14, he was talking about optional matters. And in optional matters, we need to be patient with one another. Now, there are matters that we must not flex on. That's what we've emphasized all the way through this lesson. But at the same time, there are matters that we can flex on. It just simply does not matter. And I think about and I, I know I've used this illustration numerous times, but I know of congregations that literally split over the color of the carpet. I mean, they decided to, to change the carpet and one person said this and another person said that. And next thing you know, there's a fuss between them and they literally split over the color of the carpet. Well, how foolish. Is it really that important? I, I don't think so. I mean just get a neutral collar and something that that nobody wants and then you know forget it <laughs> so you know the fact is we need to understand the gospel is the gospel of peace and the kingdom is the kingdom of peace well since it is the case that that the gospel is or all these things are true That god is the god of peace that christ is the prince of peace that the gospel is the gospel of peace since the kingdom is the kingdom of peace and since then these things are true then it is natural for god's children to be peacemakers and to seek for peace in fact if we're not seeking for peace we're not emulating christ and our father so now the question becomes how then can we seek for peace well no first god's children are peacemakers in ephesians 4 verse 3 endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace now looking at this particular passage and if you recognize the context of it he then lists the seven ones in verses 4 through 6 but if you look at verses 1 and 2 He was really thinking about the terms of things that we need to be patient with one another. And the fact is that there are things that we have to be patient with. And so there's a balance between those those two ideas. In Romans the 12th chapter, verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Do your best to be at peace, with all men, I think that's a way we would say it today. Now the question then becomes, how can peacemakers seek for peace? Well, I think there are three basic keys and they all deal with self. We need to do so by watching ourselves. In Romans 14, verse 19, let us therefore follow after these things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. In other words, how can we build one another up rather than tear one another down? Remember the context of Romans 14 concerns optional matters. We cannot just simply say, I'm going to stand here and not budge on that. We've got to recognize what other people believe. And I remember reading a discussion between two preachers and they were actually passing it back and forth on the internet and I thought, Wait a second here, is this the right way of doing this? Is that the right way of handling this matter so that the whole world will see our dirty underwear? Well, no, that's not the way to handle the matter. They needed to be at peace with one another and they needed to handle it at peace. And one but brother was using this passage to show that we need to be at peace with one another. But then he would say, turn around, would use the passage to say, my opinion is right, and therefore we must stand on this opinion. We cannot give up to it. And I was working with the preaching school at that particular time, and some of the students had been reading that, that information, that exchange between them, and I said is that really what this is about isn't it about looking at self and not making our opinion so strong that we're going to bind it upon others we need to be looking for edification building up not tearing down then we need to watch our tongue in first Peter chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 the we know that that we need to say those things that that make for peace, which ultimately means that sometimes we have to refrain from saying those things that are ill will or that show discord. Now, how do we say it today? We need to bite our tongue. That's how we would say it today, or at least that's how I would say it. There are things we just need to bite our tongue, forget it. In 1 Peter 3, verses 10, 11, Peter wrote, for he that will love life and see good days let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile and let him chew evil and do good let him seek peace and ensue it not everything that can be said has to be said And then by watching our own action in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 John wrote, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So if we're going to be peacemakers, let's look at self. Let's look at ourselves. Let's watch our tongue and let's watch our actions. The final thing we'll consider very quickly are the blessings of being a peacemaker. Now going back to our text, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God the word that's translated called is kind of a unique word in a lot of ways at least it is in in English and in fact it actually in the Russian It it is very similar word like that if you if you ask somebody what is your name in Russian kokpo uh, sabut if you ask them what you're really asking is what are you called You're not asking like we'd say, like a name. But what are you called? And that's the word that's used there. And it it means to name. Because God will call them. He will recognize them. He will name them as his children. That's the meaning there. He will name them as his children. What are you called? What are you called? I hope we're called the children of God. Now, this indicates that they are the Father's seed because they resemble and they emulate the Father. They imitate the Father. I mean, what, what are we called? Well, we're called by our Father's name. All of us are in the United States. That's how we're called. We're called by our Father's last name. And who was called that name by their grandfather and our grandfather and their grandfather and et cetera, et cetera. And it's passed down through the generations and they came down through us. And I think most of us, we look at our name and we're proud of our name. But you know, it's great to be proud of our name. But at the same time, we need to be proud that we are the children of God. And we need to be the kind of people that are peacemakers because we emulate our Father which is in heaven. To be named the child of God or children of God is to bring joy and happiness and blessing and blessedness. I think about the heritage of my own family and the different things that, that in genealogical research and different things like that discovered about my family. And of course with any family, like like one genealogist said, if you want to, to dig up all the bad things in your family, run for office and they'll dig it up for you. Well, there's some truth of that and we all have, quote, skeletons in the closet. And what they mean by that is you dig deep enough, you're gonna find things that you don't want to know about your, your history, but at the same time, We also have those within our family that we're proud of and we're glad that we were related to them and that that their actions then said and told us what kind of people they were. We're proud of that heritage. Well, brethren, we ought to be even more proud of the heritage that we have in Christ. That's what's really the key here. You know, whether I'm a Northrope or something else, it doesn't make any difference because in the end, it's not going to be judged. I'm not going to be judged by my name. I'm going to be judged whether I'm a Christian or not, whether I'm the child of God or not. You see, to be named the child of God, that should bring the blessedness and the, and the joy. And it also should bring the peace of God which passeth all understanding." You see, if we are peacemakers, we are children of God, then certainly we should recognize that we also have the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's the serenity that we have, not based upon pseudo outward things that people claim to have, and they do, people of the world sometimes do have a serenity about them but we have a real serenity that's based upon the the uh, commandments of God and the promises that God made well since God is the God of peace and Christ is the Prince of Peace and the gospel is the gospel of peace and the kingdom of God is the kingdom of peace then it's only natural for God's children to be peacemakers But you know, what's the opposite of a peacemaker? Well, the opposite of a peacemaker is a troublemaker. And so we have to ask, am I a troublemaker or am I a peacemaker? Do you seek your own ways? Do you seek your own rights? Do you seek your own desires? Such a disposition does not accomplish peace this is what causes all the trouble all the discord all the tumult in the world human lust greed selfishness and self-centeredness leads to trouble look out into the world and look at what is causing the trouble that they that people of the world have it's all based upon self Do you seek for God's will? Ever looking, ever striving to be the best person you can be for the, for the overall good of the kingdom? Ever pursuing peace? Reconciliation to God may only be steps away. But I suppose the real question must be, Will you take those steps so that you can have peace? This evening, we do offer the invitation for anybody that needs to respond to it. I think everybody that's here of accountable age have obeyed the gospel, but there may be someone that needs to repent of sin. And if you're subject to the invitation, the invitation is yours. Together, we stand and sing to encourage you.